Jesus, thank you for that reminder that you are interceding for us at the Father's throne right now. Um, And I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to your word this morning and feast us with what we find there. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. So, long ago, I was in college uh, back in England. And while I was in college, I went away on a retreat with the Christian Fellowship, uh, which was a lot like uh, the InterVarsity Focus Week, except with a lot less sunshine. Um, And on the retreat, the speaker was teaching us about sharing the gospel. What is the gospel? How do we share it? Um, And he laid out the essential parts of the message of Jesus that people need to hear about. And uh, this speaker said that there are four of them. And he drew them out on a flip chart in the shape of like a diamond. And he labeled the four sides of the diamond incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Okay, incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, the four critical parts of the gospel of Jesus. And then he challenged all of us who were listening that we should be able to explain the message of Jesus starting with any side of that diamond. We should be able to explain it starting with incarnation, with crucifixion, with resurrection, or with ascension. So I looked up at the flip chart that he had, and I thought to myself, could I do that? Uh, Incarnation? Yeah, I got that one. That's baby Jesus in the manger. I've seen that on Christmas cards. I've seen pageants full of shepherds and angels and wise men. I've sung, O little town of Bethlehem, and hark the herald angels sing. Got that one. Could do that. Crucifixion. Have I got that? Yes. Yes, that's Good Friday. Jesus is on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. We sing, O sacred head, sore wounded, and were you there when they crucified my Lord? Got that one. Resurrection, that's Easter day. The tomb is empty. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. God the Father has vindicated God the Son. He's defeated death. We sing, Jesus paid it all, and crowned him with many crowns. Got that one too. I was feeling really good about myself. And then I bumped into the fourth side of the diamond, the ascension. The ascension. What happened at the ascension again? Um, When does that happen in the church year? Well, friends, it's today. Today is Ascension Sunday, and we're going to talk about the ascension and why the ascension is good news, an essential part of the gospel. So that next time you're on one of those Christian retreats, uh, you can pull out your notes and be like, ah, yes, the ascension. Let me tell you all about it. So... First, why is it that we might be less excited about the ascension than the other parts of the good news? Second, then, how do we ground the ascension in the Old Testament scripture? And third, why is the ascension uh, of Jesus good news for us today? All right, so uh, first of all, why might we be unexcited about the ascension? We do mention the ascension every week, every Sunday, in the Creed. Um, But apart from that, we very rarely talk about it. So um, I want you to see this. Grab your service leaflets and find the creed that we say every week. It's on uh, page six of your service leaflets. The Nicene Creed is the statement of our faith that we say together every Sunday. And count down about 12 lines from the top uh, into the middle section of the creed. And we get into the section on the historical facts about the life of Jesus. So it says about Jesus... For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. Number one, that's the first side of the diamond. That's the incarnation. 
Then the creed says, for our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. That's the second side of the diamond, the crucifixion. Then it says, on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. That's the third side of the diamond, the resurrection. And then it says, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Number four, that's the ascension. It's right there in the creed. We say it every week. And then the creed adds a fifth event that's still to come. It says, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Okay, so I hope that having seen that, you agree with my retreat speaker that the ascension of Jesus is a major part of the Christian faith. It's one of the four corners of the gospel that's in the creed. But if you're anything like me, it's probably the part that you're least excited about. And I've been scratching my head trying to figure out why that is. And I came up with two possible reasons. The first reason is that maybe we're honestly a bit embarrassed about the ascension. Um, Because even by biblical standards, it's just pretty fantastical, isn't it? Um, So to be a Christian, you need to have some tolerance for miracles, um, even though our culture is still very hostile toward anything unscientific. Um, We stand up for miracles to some degree because we believe that Jesus rose from the dead uh, in a very unscientific way, um, and that is one of our core beliefs. And if we're going to stretch that far, it's not too much uh, harder to believe that Jesus healed blindness or multiplied loaves and fishes or walked on water. We believe in some level of the miraculous. But the idea that Jesus, at the end of his life, just lifted off into space (laughs) stretches our tolerance to breaking point. It sounds utterly fantastical, doesn't it? Uh, All the other miracles in the Bible have elements of the supernatural, but at least they make some kind of personal relational sense. They have a plausibility within the story and a human dimension that keeps them grounded. Uh, But the ascension just seems showy, doesn't it? and flashy and out of character. It's like something from a Marvel comic. Uh, And I think for many of us, it's honestly just a bit embarrassing to talk about it. Um, So I imagine conversations with my skeptical friends going a bit like this. So, Jesus came back from the dead, did he? Well, where is he now then? Did he die again? That's what my skeptical friends sound like. Um, No, 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 He, he went up into heaven. Oh, really? Well, how did he get there? By escalator? No, uh, actually, he he just lifted off from the ground. Like Superman. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Well, that's very convenient, isn't it? Um, It does sound kind of a little overly convenient. Uh, Maybe that's part of why we don't talk about the ascension much, because we find it just a little bit embarrassing. So that's one reason. And the second reason is that maybe we find it a bit sad. Jesus is gone, and we feel a little bit left behind. A bit nostalgic for the days we read about in the Gospels, and maybe we wish that he hadn't gone away. So I've had a few friends confide in me over the years that they know that Jesus said it was better for them that he go away so that he could send us the Holy Spirit. But it really doesn't feel better. And maybe that's a feeling you share, that you kind of wish that Jesus hadn't gone away, and so the ascension, the moment that he leaves, doesn't feel like anything to celebrate. So, it's going to help us today if we can see how the ascension fits in with God's overall plan and how this part of Jesus' life was also predicted in the Old Testament. Okay, so second, how do we ground the ascension in Old Testament scripture? And the place to go is 2 Kings chapter 2. So, it's going to be helpful if you can grab a Bible and look at this. 2 Kings 2, on page 308 of the church Bibles, 308. 
2 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 9. So this is the part of the Old Testament that talks about Elijah, the prophet Elijah, and the end of Elijah's life. And I hope you've heard this story before. Uh, Elijah was a great miracle-working prophet, and he was taken up into heaven at the end of his life in chariots of fire. And his friend and disciple Elisha was left on the ground to watch him go. And uh, you can see the key dramatic moment in the story in verse 11. It says, And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So those are two very short sentences in the Bible that would make uh, a very long scene in a Hollywood movie about Elijah's life. You can imagine how dramatic they could make that. Um, and we notice, as we read about the end of Elijah's life, how strikingly similar it is to the end of Jesus' life. The master goes up into heaven. The disciples are left behind. The disciples watch him go. After the departure, the disciples are given a new spirit, and then they go off and continue the master's work. They even do greater things than the master did, in both cases. All right? It's very important uh, precedent for Jesus' ascension. And we see here that Jesus was not the first person to shoot up into heaven at the end of his life. The first person to do that in the scriptures was probably Enoch. In Genesis chapter 5, it says Enoch lived a righteous life before God and was spared death because God took him into heaven. And then the second person to do it was the prophet Elijah here, as we read in 2 Kings. So there's Old Testament precedent for this kind of departure from the earth, and that makes it a bit less strange and fantastical when we see Jesus leaving in this way. We learn, actually, from the Old Testament that this is the proper end to a good and righteous life, according to the Old Testament. It proves that Jesus was righteous in the sight of God and that he never has to die again, that he's still alive today. And in both the stories of Elijah and Jesus, the departure has a purpose on the earth. The master leaves so that the disciples can be empowered to carry on his work. They receive the Holy Spirit and they do even more mighty miracles. Did you notice that with Elisha in the last verse that we read today, that he got a double portion of Elijah's spirit? And then as we read on in the story of Elisha, he does even more mighty miracles than Elijah ever did. Jesus promised the same thing for his disciples. He said to them, you will do even greater things than I did. So 2 Kings gives the ascension a precedent and it underlines that it has a purpose. But that doesn't necessarily make a happy day because when Elijah left, we see that in Elisha there was a strong sense of grief, the sting of grief, because in verse 12 he called after Elijah, my father, my father, and then he tore his clothes which was a statement of great sorrow. And that's really what we would expect, isn't it, when the master leaves. But I wanted to see what the response was when Jesus left, what the response was in his followers. So flip forward in your Bibles to the end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24, page 885, the last uh, sentence in the Gospel of Luke. Wait for the end of the rustling. All right, so in Luke chapter 24, right at the end of Luke's gospel, it talks about Jesus ascending into heaven. And then it says this of his disciples, the last sentence, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy 
and were continually in the temple blessing God. So Luke tells us that after Jesus ascended, the emotional response of the disciples was joy. Great joy. Um, So their emotions to Jesus leaving were the polar opposite of Elisha's emotions when Elijah left. He was full of grief, but they had great joy. And in fact, when we see this, we notice that at the end of Jesus' life, the emotional response of the disciples is kind of the opposite to ours in a lot of different ways, right? So as Jesus goes through his last week on earth, he gets crucified, and we rejoice and say, Good Friday, noble death. They run away and abandon him. Then he's raised to life, and we celebrate and sing, Christ is risen, But the disciples at that point are still wrestling with fear and doubt. And then it comes to the ascension. Jesus goes back into heaven. We scratch our heads and feel confused and maybe a little left behind. But they are dancing around for joy, right? We need to ask why it was the ascension of Jesus more than any other part of his story that caused the penny to drop for the uh, apostles and filled them up with joy. So third, why is the ascension of Jesus good news? And here, I think, are three major reasons. Um, Because the ascension of Jesus was something like Inauguration Day, because it was something like Graduation Day, and because it was something like Engagement Day. All right? So it was like something like Inauguration Day. Uh, If you think about the resurrection sort of like winning the election, (laughs) then the ascension is like getting sworn in. Uh, And if you've had the experience of really wanting to elect a certain candidate for president and then seeing that person win, uh, know that it's not just the election itself that's a great day, but Inauguration Day is also a great day. It's a party day. Uh, It's the day that your candidate takes power, the day that the reins fall into his hands, a day that marks the start of all kinds of positive change. Um, And I think we can think about Ascension Day as that kind of day for the disciples. Um, Jesus wasn't leaving the earth just to leave it. He was leaving it to enter heaven, uh, to take his seat at the right hand of the Father. He was leaving it to be crowned king over all the earth. Uh, King not of some remote, distant, faraway land, but their king of their land, ruling for their good, interceding at his Father's throne on their behalf and sending them his Holy Spirit and all the gifts that they'd need to serve him. So Jesus was taking the reins, and that was one good reason to get excited. Second, the ascension was a bit like graduation day for the disciples. Uh, Some of you are going to graduation right now. Congratulations if you're graduating high school or college. Uh, You know that you've spent years and years working uh, toward that end. Um, And graduation day is this wonderful day of joy and freedom. It's a throw-your-hat-in-the-air kind of day. Uh, graduation day means the long, long years of hard work and learning are over, and a new life of doing lies before you. And your teachers are always there with you on graduation day, aren't they, to congratulate you. And their message to you is, I'm finished. I've said everything I had to say. I'm done now. It's over to you you're ready to go. And I think that's something like what Jesus was saying to his disciples by leaving them in the ascension. He was saying, my part's done. I'm handing over to you now. And I don't know about you, but for me, it was around my graduation day from college that my whole engineering degree kind of started to click and become clear in my mind as one piece. It was something about getting to the end of the curriculum that made everything fall into place in my head, like putting in the last piece of uh, a jigsaw puzzle and seeing the whole picture laid out 
for the first time. And I think that might have been part of the joy for the disciples, that they finally got it, that Jesus' departure made their job clear, and they rejoiced because they finally knew what they had to do. So that's uh, two good reasons for them to get excited, because the Ascension Day was both Inauguration Day and Graduation Day. And then third, there's even a more wonderful reality, that the Ascension was something like Engagement Day. Engaging to be married. Because Jesus made it clear all along that his disciples had to follow him. right? Follow him. His first commands to most of them were, follow me. And he warned them about the reality of what following him would mean. He warned them that it's going to lead to poverty, into humble and lowly service, even as far as crucifixion, because the servant is not greater than his master. But here at the end of his story, Jesus also showed them where the path that he had been leading them along would end up, where it was going to go. And the result was it was going into the sky. It was going up to glory, into heaven with him. And even this part of the journey was going to be a part that they were going to follow someday. Jesus told them in John chapter 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. His words would have rung in their ears as Jesus ascended. It's promised that I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. So Jesus is saying there that his disciples get to follow him to his father's house. And this passage from John 14 uses very clearly the language of marriage from the first century. Because the pattern in first century Israel, when a man got engaged to a woman, was that he would then leave her and go home to his father's house, and he would build a room onto his father's house that he and his new wife were going to live in. And then when that new room was finished, the man would come back to his uh, fiancé's village, and he would collect her, he would marry her, and he would take her home to live in his father's house. So this pattern that comes from first century uh, Jewish culture is clearly what Jesus is referencing in John 14. Um, Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. That is stating an intention of marriage. And so the ascension is something like engagement day, and it means that marriage is coming. Will a bridegroom leave his bride and not come back for her. So in Acts chapter 1, the angel promises, Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He will come back for us, and we will get to follow Jesus even in this last journey of his life. Even in his ascension, our path following Jesus ends in the sky. And this is how I think we can preach the gospel from the Ascension, just like my retreat speaker wanted, how the Ascension is good news for 21st century people. Because this end of the story is something that all our hearts deeply long for. We share a common desire to get high. right? We all want to get high. Um, some of us climb the corporate ladder. 
Some of us climb the property ladder. Some build tall buildings. Some climb high mountains. Some fill up their pockets. Some build giant rockets. Some build up their own reputations. And some look to chemical stimulations. But in our hearts, it's all the same. We all just want to get high. And people often hear the Christian message telling them to stop climbing. We hear Jesus calling us to put this desire to death. He says, love your neighbor, serve the poor, take the lowest place, be servant of all. But here at the end of the story in the ascension is the food to satisfy our high, hungry hearts. We mustn't lift ourselves, but God in the end will raise us up. He'll lift us right to his own side, right into his own house. So we humble ourselves before the Lord, waiting for him to exalt us. The Christian road ends in glory. It ends on the ultimate high, higher than any elevation we could ever reach for ourselves. And so with that knowledge, we don't waste our time building our own puny towers of Babel when we could be following Jesus in this road that goes through the clouds. The disciples at the end of the story found three great big reasons for joy because the ascension was something like inauguration day, something like graduation day, and something like engagement day. And it left the disciples of Jesus on a big high. Amen.